had told Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that my people may worship me. And with a mighty arm, God uh, used Moses to lead the people out of, out of Egypt. And they were in the wilderness complaining, you know, talking about the things they didn't have. They'd rather be slaves and have meat than be free. So um, anyway, so right after that, we start with the second half of Exodus. And the second half of Exodus starts with, with chapter 19. And uh, I'm just going to read a couple of verses from, from, uh, from chapter 19. It says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my, co- and my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So this was God talking to Moses, telling him what to, tell to, to, what to say to the people. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the words, uh, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words uh, of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear what I speak to you and may also believe you forever. After this, God tells them, I'm going to be coming to you in three days. So I want you guys to consecrate yourselves, change your clothing, put, set yourself aside, separate yourself, and, 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 uh, and, and I'm going to be coming to you. And he also told them, don't touch the mountain because anybody that touched the mountain needs to die. Right? So, that, you know, we see some, uh, some power in God right there. So then after this, uh, Moses goes up and down a couple of times, as the video was saying. He receives the Ten Commandments from God, and he receives 52 other laws. And the people continue to say, whatever you say, God, we're going to do it. Whatever you say, God, you're going to do it. Uh, God confirms his covenant with Moses. And uh, he also uh, tells them, he, he, also, he also tells Moses to ask the people for an offering of specific materials. And God said in Exodus 25, 8, it says, And let, me make me, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So this mighty, powerful God that created the world and delivered his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, he said, I want them I, to make a, a sanctuary so that I may be with them. And this is something that the video is talking about. What, what, what's, what's, what the, the important thing about uh, in, in the second half of Exodus is that is God's presence. God wanted to be with his people. God wanted to be with his people. So the next seven chapters, he's giving specific details about the design of what we're going to be speaking about today, which is called the tabernacle. He told them uh, specific materials. He said some things of gold, some things of, of bronze, some things of wood, some things of wood and gold on top of it. He gave them designs. He told them pictures to make on it. He told them what to make it. So there was a specific design to everything that God was, uh, was telling them to build, build here. So we said that we're going to be speaking about the tabernacle. And the word tabernacle means dwell. Or it means a dwelling place. So God was basically telling his people, I am coming down to meet you. I am bringing my presence to you. And why is that a big deal? That's a big deal because what was it that happened when Adam and Eve sinned? They were, they were banished from the, from the presence of God. 
and sin had separated man from God. And after this, life went on. We had gone through the stories as we went through the book of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus. We, we know in Genesis, we heard, we learned about Noah's Ark, the Tower of Babel, and then we came to Abraham. God had told Abraham that he will be the God of Abraham's people. So Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob, God changed his name to Israel. And uh, Jacob had 12 sons. We know one of them was Joseph, and we, we went through that a lot. So you guys know the story of Joseph. He was uh, sold into slavery, and eventually uh, different circumstances brought him to the place where he was second in command to Pharaoh. And God gave him wisdom, and because of Joseph, thousands and maybe millions, I don't know how many people were alive in the Middle East at that time, but a lot of people's lives were saved because a famine came to the land, and God, used, uh, God gave uh, uh, Joseph wisdom to be able to, 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 uh, to save the people. So and during that time, the, the, Israel was going towards the promised land, and then, and then God saved them by bringing them into Egypt for a little while. Not a little while, it was actually 400 years. So they were there. They were slaves for 400 years. After a while, the Bible says that there was a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. So he, I mean, that, that's when he, they became slaves. So his people were going through a lot of pain, a lot of suffering over 400 years. I, they probably felt that God had forgotten about them. They probably felt that, that they felt hopeless and they, they didn't know what they were going to do. There was no hope for them. They were going to be slaves forever. And in the middle of this, God this is up Moses to lead his people out of, out of Israel. God heard their cries. And what this tells us about God is that God remembers his promises. One thing that we continue to speak about, especially on Wednesday nights, is how God remembers his promise to Abraham. God uh, remembers that he promised Abraham that his descendants were going to have land. He promised him many descendants, and he promised that, that they were going to be a blessing to the rest of the world. So one thing that we see here is that God, what God wanted to do with, with, the, with, with the Hebrews is that he wanted to take them out of where they were. Where they were, they were in a place where they didn't worship the one true God. They worshiped many false gods. So he wanted to take them out from where they were so that he can draw them to himself. So he can be their God, and they will be, and they will be his people. He wanted to, to show them who they were. God wanted to dwell in the midst of his people. Like I said before, the word tabernacle means well. So God wanted to have a relationship with his people. So uh, let's look at a couple of reasons why the tabernacle was built. Um, like I said before, he wanted to show his people that he had not forgotten them, that the covenant that he had, that he had established with Abraham, he's going to continue to remember that God will continue to remember his promises and there's always opposition when God promises something but at the end of the day God God will have his way and, it, and what did he tell the Pharaoh he said let my people go so that they may come and worship me so he wanted his people to worship him and the word worship means to ascribe worth it means uh, the thing that the thing that you value most is the thing that you worship so how can you value something if you don't understand what it is? I know one of my favorite shows when I was little was The Price is Right. I don't know if you guys used to watch that. But what most of the games, uh, most of the games that, 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 that were played, there was, um, uh, there was uh, you had to understand how much stuff was worth. So I remember there was a game where it would be like, let's say they had a, you know, um, I don't know, uh, a guitar. Thank you. 
they had a guitar and they had nothing. So they had, let's say, a guitar on one side and they had um, uh, a chair on the other side. One would be, it, it would be either sixty-three or thirty-six dollars, and you had to see which one was 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 worth what. If you don't understand how much things are worth, then you won't be able to play the game, right? So I didn't understand value at that time, so I couldn't play the game. So the same way, if we don't understand the value of God, then we won't worship him. We worship sometimes other things and value other things about what God did. And if they didn't know God and they didn't understand him, they wouldn't be able to value him. So one of the things that God wanted to do besides to remind him of the covenant was to show them who he was. He wanted to show him his power. And I think he did a great job of doing that by separating the Red Sea. Right? We know that he separated the Red Sea to, to help the, the, the Hebrews go through. And when they got through and, and Pharaoh's army was coming to get them, what happened? So he showed them his power like that. Another thing is he wanted to show them his holiness. And his holiness, uh, there's sort of two sides to the, ho- the, the The word holy means set apart. And there's sort of two sides of it. There's the fact that, it's, that he's set apart from sin. But it's also the fact that he's set apart for his glory. So he's set apart from sin. There's no sin with him, but also the fact that God glorifies himself. So even as us, as we are made holy, we are set apart from sin, but it also means that we are called to bring glory to the name of God. So he wanted to show them his holiness. And another thing that he wanted to show them was his righteousness. God, uh, the word righteous means morally pure. It means just. And uh, with the word righteousness, uh, uh, another word that's synonymous with is the word justice. So, you know, one thing that we do learn later on in the New Testament, the Bible says that um, that um, the wages of sin is death. So because we are sinners, what we're supposed to get is death. Because we are sinners, we are destined to spend eternity apart from God, apart from God, uh, unless God comes and intervenes. That's the situation that we're in. So the tabernacle was a place of judgment and justice. It was a place where where death was what there was a place of death and there was a place where sin was paid for. So, I mean, if we're, it sort of talks about a situation here because we're in the same boat. We're all sinners, so we're on our own death and eternity apart from God, right? So, we're, who, how many people are sinners here? So, we're doomed, right? No. Because besides the fact that God is righteous, He is also merciful. He is also gracious. He is also loving. Now, one of the easiest ways we hear the word, we, a lot of times we hear a lot of church, uh, words in church and stuff, and we're not sure what they mean. Um, the word grace and mercy to me are like two sides of God's love. The word grace means when you get something that you don't deserve. And the word mercy is when you deserve something, but you don't get it. So I, I usually, I, you know, I, I try to teach my kids about the difference between grace and mercy. So my kids, they love to sleep with us. Dad, can I sleep with you? Dad, can I sleep with you? Dad, can I sleep with you? And once in a while I'll say, you know what? If you behave well today and you guys don't fight, which never happens, then I say, then you'll be able to sleep with us. So they'll fight or whatever. Dad, can we sleep with you tonight? And I'll be like, what did I tell you? I told you if you guys would, if you guys would fight today, would not fight today, you can sleep with us. But if you fight, then I'm not going to let you sleep with us. Did you guys fight today? Yes. And most of the time, I'm, I'm, I, I keep my word, but once in a while, I find an opportunity and I say, you know what? Do you guys deserve to sleep with us today? No. But you know what? I'm going to allow you to sleep with us. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give you this gift because it is a gift to sleep with, with us. No, but anyway, but anyway, so anyway, so, so anyway, so 
That sounded weird, but so anyway, so anyway, so we, <laughs> so, so, you know, we allow them to, and then sometimes I do tell them, I say, hey, if this, if this happens, if you guys fight again, then you're going to be punished. I'm going to punish you. You're not going to be able to use your iPad for three days, which is like, that's like, that's like just hanging them. It's the same thing, you know? So, you know, so they might fight. Like I said, most of the time I do, uh, you know, follow up with what I say, but once in a while I see an opportunity to, to, to teach them something. You deserve for me to punish you. Yes. But you know what? I'm going to be merciful to you today, and I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to allow you to use the iPad. You know what I mean? So anyway, grace and mercy. Grace, something you get that you don't deserve. Mercy is when you deserve punishment and you don't get it. So God, he was righteous, but at the same time he was merciful. So he established a system where he can be both righteous and merciful. Everything God is, all of his characteristics, he's all that. So he's all righteous and he is all merciful at the same time. And um, so and, and we're going to get a little bit more into that. So I don't want to uh, jump, you know, go ahead of myself. But we see that not only was God showing them that he was going to continue the, the, the covenant with them, he was also making a way so that his people, his sinful people, who don't deserve him can have access to him through what we're going to speak about um, later in, in the next couple of minutes. But besides that, God was also foreshadowing something that was even greater. There were sacrifices that were made in the, in the tabernacle that gave them access to God, but he was foreshadowing a greater sacrifice. The sacrifices that were made in the tabernacle, I'm going ahead of myself, it's okay. Um, they, were, they would cover up the sin of the people. But the sacrifice that Jesus made would remove the sin for the people. And that's a big difference there. So, you know, it's, we're, on this side of things, we're able to understand things a lot better than even they were, which is cool. But anyway, but so another thing that the tabernacle was, it was a picture of Christ. It was a picture of Eden because he was restoring his presence. He was bringing a relationship back that was, that was, uh, that was uh, torn, torn apart by sin. And even the certain things in the design of the tabernacle that points into Eden. And it was also a picture of heaven, which is what I like to call the eternal Eden. But at the same time, it was a picture of Christ. Because how is it that we get to that eternal Eden? It's through Christ alone, right? So, again, I'm going to say this like five times. The word tabernacle means... Thank you. All right. If you guys didn't say anything, I would have started a little over. I'm just going to tell you. But anyway. So anyway, <laughs> so the tabernacle, I told you that he made a design. And um, if you can, oh, I have actually. All right. This is the tabernacle, just to give you a picture, right? Out here, this is the, the outer gate. Do I, have, do I have a pointer? No. This is the outer gate, right? And then over here was the, was the courtyard, Right? And we're going to go over these things, but I'm going to just point out. This was the brazen altar or the altar of sacrifice, and this is where the, the brazen labor. And, and then there was a, 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 a tent, and the tent had two rooms. The first room was called the holy place, the, and then there was a veil that separated the first room from the second room, and the back room was called the holy of holies or the most holy place. All right? So you guys got to look at that just so you can get a little bit of picture of what we're, what, what we're talking about here. So like I said, the word tabernacle means dwell. God wanted to have a relationship with his people. He wanted to dwell in the middle of his people. And one thing that's interesting 
um, later on, I think it's in, in, it might be in Leviticus or Numbers. It talks about he, there were 12 tribes of Israel, we said before, and he told them where to live. So the tribe of, of Dan might have been on this side. Then the tribe of Naphtali, then this tribe and that tribe. So he actually arranged them, told them where they should live. And what's, what's weird is that, not weird, but awesome, they actually live like in the form of a cross. So I don't know if that means something, but, you know, I, I think it does. I think the cross means something to us, right? <laughs> so anyway, so God wanted to live in the middle of his people. So that's the tabernacle. Um, yeah, and if you guys, and anyway, and the, the presence of God was there in the in the holy of holies, and it would be it would be in the form of a, of, a, of, a, of a of a cloud during the day, and during the night it would be in the form of like a pillar of fire, right? And um, have you ever heard the word Shekinah or Shekinah glory? That's the the Hebrews uh, referred to that as his Shekinah glory, and the word Shekinah means dwell also. So his dwelling glory, his abiding glory, his relationship glory, his I want to be with my people glory, right? So anyway, so we see God wanted to be with his people, right? So in the book, in, in the book of uh, in John 1, 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you see the parallel here. We see in the Old Testament with the tabernacle, God wanted to dwell in the middle of his people. When Jesus came, it says that he came and he dwelt among us. And actually, the message version of the Bible says God moved into the neighborhood, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, yeah, so again, like I said, the tabernacle is a foreshadow of Christ. <laughs> so God called his people out of Egypt so that he can come and be close to them. He called them out to draw them in. in uh, and now through Christ... In First Peter uh, uh, chapter 2, and you're going to hear some similarities here from when we read Exodus uh, 19. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were people, but now you are God's people. Once you had, you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. God called the, the, the Hebrews out of, out of the darkness in Egypt into the light of who he is. God calls us out of the darkness of our dead, sinful state that we are all born in. And he comes. He draws us to himself. He calls them out of darkness into marvelous light. So again, tabernacle, a foreshadow of Jesus. Now another thing that's interesting um, the word, and he, over here in these verses, he's talking about the church. We know that the church is not a building. The church is the people. And you know what the word, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. Do you know what it means? It means called out ones. That's what the word church means. So God calls us out to make us his own. So another way that we see Christ is through the different um, articles and furniture in the tabernacle. So these are, um, this is, I'll just... Yeah, I'll just point these out. This is the the the, the altar of, of sacrifice. No, altar. No, yeah. This is the altar of sacrifice. This is the 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 bronze laver that was like a big sink. Uh, and then that these are the things that were on the outside, on the on the on the out here, right? And then in the first place, the holy place was the golden candle stand. 
the table of showbread. And again, we're going to explain these things, so don't go crazy. So, and then, and then there was the altar of incense, right? This is the inside of the tabernacle. The candle stand, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. And I think this picture might be better. And this is the Ark of the Covenant. This is behind there. So... Just so you guys can understand what we're talking about when we go through this. So the brazen altar, or the altar of sacrifice, um, what the people would bring their sacrifice to, to the priest, and the priest would sacrifice these animals on behalf of the, of, of the people. Um, God wanted to dwell among his people, but the way that he, there was sort of a middleman between God and the people, and these were the priests, which were the Levites from the tribe of Levi. They, came, they were the ones that used to make the sacrifice on behalf of the people. So um, when they brought a sacrifice, they didn't, you know, they didn't say, let me see if I find, you know, a three-legged cow, and I'm just going to bring him because he's useless anyway. They would bring their best. They would have to bring an unblemished animal. So so, so when you came and you came to worship God, you came and you lost something. You lost something of yourself. In uh, Hebrews 9.22, it says, under the law... Almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So these animals, we, we, we said before that, that the wages of sin is death. These animals were, kill, were killed and slaughtered because we're sinners. So we deserve the death, but God allowed in this sacrifice system for us to put our sin inside of this animal, and this animal would die. Because we're sinners. So God wants to show us how serious our sin is. Our sin is that serious that something has to die. No matter what the sin is, we are all deserving of eternal separation from God. That's just the reality. So anyway, a lot of people believe that, um, that God sort of unofficially established the sacrificial system in the Garden of Eden. Because what, when, when, when Adam and Eve uh, sinned, what did God do? When they realized they were naked, what did he do? It says that he clothed them with animal skin. Where do you get animal skin from? So a lot of people believe, that, hey, he, he must have uh, uh, sacrificed these animals because, you know, and, and let, the, let that, those animals be a substitute for Adam and Eve in order to clothe them with, with, with animal skin. So God is, is holy. He's righteous. And these, like I said, the animals he allowed to be a substitute for us. In uh, John 129, uh, when Jesus was coming to be baptized by John the Baptist, you know what John the Baptist said? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Tabernacle, Jesus. So, but even though it was a, a sacrifice that was showed, it foreshadowed a greater sacrifice, like I said. The sacrifices that were made would cover their sin. The sacrifice that Jesus has made has removed our sin from us, which is a, a better uh, sacrifice and a better covenant. And if you guys are interested in the better, better covenant, the book of Hebrews is all about that. So that's just a little commercial there. So um, Anyway, so, okay, so we go into the holy place, which is the first room, and that's the, the lampstand right there. The lamp, and I'm going to go a little faster through these. The lampstand provided light, and it's a picture of Jesus being the light of the world. Then we have the table of showbread, or the table of presence, and these were 12 loaves of bread, one for each tribe of uh, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, 
and the, pre- the bread was always present there. It was a, a memorial food offering, and it was only to be eaten by the Levites. They prepared this every Sabbath, every Sabbath day, and they would have that bread there as, a, as an offering to God. This is a picture of Jesus being the bread of life. John uh, 6.35 says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus is holy. He provides sustenance, and he's always present, just like this bread. So in the last one over here was the altar of incense. And this is where the priests would come. They would offer their prayers up to God. And God gave them a very specific recipe of, of the incense that he wanted. I guess, you know, God has a favorite smell. So, and, and, and the Bible says that this was a pleasing aroma unto God. Psalm 141.2 says, May my prayer be set before you like incense. Revelation 5.8 says, The 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Right? So that was the holy place. The priest will go to the holy place all the time. But the next room is the Holy of Holies, and it was separated by a veil. The priests were only allowed to go into that room once a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. And the word atonement sort of means like a restoration of relationship. So it, some people say at one mint, one, one at one mint, like atonement. So you to remember what it means. So anyway, so the, that was the day that the sacrifice was made for the sin of the people. So that was the only day a year that the priest was able to go in there. So, oh, you know what? I, did I skip the, bron- the bronze laver? Did I? Okay, anyway, the bronze laver, <laughs> we're cleansed of our sins through, through Christ. And one of the things, I'm sorry, the, you know, the, the priests got pretty, pretty bloody from making the sacrifice. Before they were to go in there, they would have to cleanse themselves of all the bloodiness, their hands, their feet, and everything. I'm sorry I missed that one. Anyway, so this veil, in a sense, if sin is what separates us from God, it's almost like if this veil sort of symbolizes that sin, you know. We're separated from God, but we're only able to come to God when our sin is removed. They were able to go uh, one time a year behind there. But anybody know what happened in the, in the temple when Jesus died? The veil tore. It tore from top to bottom. So the priest had access to God's presence one day a year. Now we have eternally, eternal access to God's presence. This is why Jesus was the full, he fulfilled what the, what, the, what the tabernacle foreshadowed. Now the Bible says that we can boldly come before the Lord. All right? So, anyway, so we have eternal redemption and eternal access to God. And the Ark of the Covenant was a, was a big box, a big chest. And inside of it, it had uh, a jar of manna, which is the substance that rained from the sky that they used to make bread. It had Aaron's budding staff, which is another longer story, but... And, and also, it also had uh, the ten, a tablet with the Ten Commandments. Through these things, we see God's love and his care and provision in the manna. Through the staff, we see his power and his sovereignty. And through the, through the Ten Commandments, we see his righteousness and his holiness. And um, there were two angels. I don't know if you can see it in this picture. Oh. So this is God's creation? No, wait. Sorry. Anyway. Well, anyway, in, in the tabernacle, there were two angels that had uh, two uh, their, they had their wings. Anyway, so there were wings that were facing each other like that, and they were called cherubim, the the uh, the, 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 
the angels. And they surrounded the, 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 the presence of God. And, um, and uh, between them, what was called the mercy seat. And this is where the throne of God was. And during the Day of Atonement, when they made the sacrifice for the sin, they used to sprinkle the blood of the animal on this mercy seat. And it's funny because there's several times in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where God is referred to as the one that dwells between the cherubim. So I think it's pretty cool. So anyway, so God is righteous. He has to judge sin. But God is also merciful, and he makes a way for us to be able to come. We are separated from God by sin, and now God has made a way so that we can come to him. He is righteous, and he has to judge but he allowed the, the, the sin of the people to be placed in these animals. He is righteous. He has to judge sin. So he has given our sin and placed it on his son, Jesus. The Bible says that he made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. So he, um, he anyway, so this is why Jesus had to die for our sin. Basically, so anyway, we see God's righteousness, we see his mercy, and we also see his wisdom on how he just made this whole plan to say, I'm going to I've got to I'm going to make a way so that I can be all these things at the same time. So anyway, so all of these things are fulfilled in Christ. Um, We know that we are born separated from Christ, separated from God, and, and God brings us to himself through Jesus. And the last thing, the tabernacle is also a place of worship. Like I said before, when they came to bring those animals, they came and they lost something. And the, as far as, like, let's say the expression of worship, worship in churches, we have almost the attitude, like, sometimes, like, oh, like, you know, the worship team is here to entertain us. You know, when it's not about that, it's not about us. It's about God. It's about us. Worship is not about us getting. Worship is about us giving, you know. And, and, you know, these were rituals that they performed in the tabernacle. In a sense, what we do in church is sort of rituals too. Not in a bad way, but it is something we do over and over again that has meaning. So when we perform rituals, we have a habit of people to even forget about what the rituals really mean and, and just to go through the motions, right? So that's something that we want to not do in our, in our rituals and with the Lord. Uh, Romans 12.1 says, I appeal you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and, ple- holy, and ple- holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our worship to God, before their worship was they used to take animals and slaughter them on the, on the altar of sacrifice. Our worship now is that we take ourselves and we slaughter ourselves on God's altar. We die to ourselves so we can live for God. And this is what our life of worship is. When we sing songs, we're just expressing. But it's like the same way that if I say, what is, what's love? Love is a hug. No, love is not a hug. It's a way to express. A hug is a way to express love. What we do here is just one of the many ways that we express our worship to God. So, so one of the things, like I said, we don't, we don't want to do is we don't want to forget why we do what we do. We were supposed to be separated from God. God made a way for us to have access to him. We see that picture in the, in the, in the tabernacle. But, but that is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. All right? So um, one, things I do, one thing I do want to uh, encourage you guys to do, and it's on your sheets there, is um, Hebrews 9 and 10, they, are, they, they explain a lot of the stuff that I, that I just went through. So I want to encourage you guys to take, you know, 10, 15 minutes and read that. All right? So I think we're going to be breaking up into our groups.